We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we work and live, the people of the Gubby Gubby Nation, and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the Take A Seat Podcast. This podcast brings awareness to disability sports and supports. We are talking to experts and athletes with a disability from around the world. Boys, time for the uh, sponsorship read. Let's get into it. Of course, we want a website, uh, some details about their programs, and maybe where people can find them on the socials. Yeah, love it. Well, we'll start off with a website. So www.suncoastspinners.com.au is where you can find all of their upcoming information about any events, tournaments, local programs, uh, where to be and what time. Uh, Spot on, Jimmy. Great. Over to you, Cam. Definitely Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We don't know about TikTok. We might have to get them onto TikTok, definitely. They're not a very big social media. Well, we know that they have a link tree which has all of them listed on it. So jump on their link tree and you'll be able to find it from suncoastspinners.com.au. And who are we thanking for the money? Uh, I want to to throw a big shout out to Bridie Keane uh, and the rest of the board for supporting us and backing us on this venture. You guys are doing really well at this now. You're getting real pro, to be honest. (laughs) We'll we'll cut this up and it will sound beautiful when we get it to air. Love it. Let's get into it. Cameron, we are back. We are back. Well, look, we are back in the studio. I, I love being here. I've spent the last two weeks out and about. But who we got on today? We have episode 26, Michael Frogley, who is wheelchair basketball god in what my mind. a way to finish off the first season. Not only has he been an, an athlete through wheelchair basketball and been to many, many Paralympians, but his coaching career in, in wheelchair basketball, he is known as the godfather of wheelchair basketball and one of the greatest minds. Now, what do we talk about in the episode? What do we talk? What do we talk about? We talk about Brisbane's legacy for 2032. Is it before or is it after? We also talk about the inclusion of able-bodied athletes in different classification systems and sports and as a general gifs of of everything but mm-hmm. not only that i guess you could say disability involvement as well that's and it. but opportunities create yeah. opportunities finding your opportunity and also canada's perspective which is a front runner i guess you could say in the world of inclusion and he gives a really good story about halloween and schools mm-hmm. and wheelchair basketball that really changed my mindset i don't know if it changed yours but it definitely gives you that yeah, that, that's different. That makes it so much better. Absolutely. Now, bear with me. I try in there to verbally communicate via the podcast uh, perspective change demonstration. When you find it, try and give it a crack. See how you go. <laughs> See if it works for you or if it's uh, just James's perspective is, is working for him. That's it. All right. Enough of us. Let's give it to you, Frog. Okay, well, to begin with, Frog, we'd like to welcome you to take a seat with us on the Take a Seat Project. And thank you for your time in joining us. Glad to take a seat. Excellent. So we've got you on today. Really, I mean, you and I met before COVID, I think it was 2019. Sunco Spinners had you over for their reverse inclusion conference that was hosted at the annual Sunco Spinners tournament back then. And you came over and you did you did a few things. One, you you actually hosted the, the conference for RI and you delivered a speech. And then you also gave a bit of a, what would you call it, Frog? You gave us a bit of a partially pat on the back, but also a bit of a um, an audit as to what we were doing in terms of reverse inclusion. It was, re- it was really, really, really great to have you over at the time. But we've got you on the podcast now, and Cam, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we've got a bit of a list here, but most and foremost, we've been wanting to know from Frog, able body involvement 
after the back end of the conversation with Bridie, able-body involvement in adaptive sports and wheelchair sports, Frog's introduction into the Wheelchair Basketball Hall of Fame and how that him as his playing career and coaching career, as well as the Red and Black Aces and how that uh, interaction works over in Canada and, and just generally his thoughts around everything that we've sort of been involved in and what this whole podcast started about and why able-body involvement or the difference between physical and mental disabilities and what we can do. Because in our mind, Frog, you're the guru at this mm. uh, particular subject. So Illinois and knowing the university over there and everything that's going on, we see your name pop up in all of these avenues of, of uh, inclusion. So to start with, shall we? Frog, what was your introduction into what is what? So reverse, just to, for the listeners to understand, reverse inclusion for us, which is delivered on the Sunshine Coast here by Suncoast Minutes, is the pretty well like for like for reverse integration to what you deliver over in Canada. Could you could you just for listeners give us a brief history or brief breakdown as to what it is that you deliver with reverse integration in Canada? So in in Canada, what we have is in our domestic league, we have people and anybody can play as long as they use a wheelchair. So that means people who are are able-bodied can play alongside their peers that have disabilities. Uh, They fit into the classification system at the highest classification of 4.5, and they can hop on the court and and play with with their parents, with their friends, whoever they want. And so you can play at any level in Canada, if you're an individual who's able-bodied. So that's what it looks like in Canada, right up to the national championships, right up to the, the Canada Games, which is a national multi-sport competition that is integrated. And it actually, uh, it starts today. I think the opening ceremonies are, are, are Friday, February 17th uh, in PEI. So they're already playing now, you know, for, for you people in Australia. Do you want to give us a bit of a so for the listeners, again, reverse inclusion started with the Sunco Spinners in 2017, and it was to deliver a sporting opportunity for people with disabilities in schools. And we started off with two schools, uh, a six-week program where we had, they, were, they, were, they weren't all individuals with physical disabilities, but they were classes of, of, of those in special needs. And we gave them a six-week program where they were playing an inter-school competition between two schools. Do, do you deliver those similar things or is it solely within the basketball programs is where reversing integration for yourself is delivered? So most of my experience is in wheelchair basketball. And so what I was describing when I'm describing a uh, basically a, a league nationwide that people, regardless of function, can go and play in, I was really referring to, to wheelchair basketball. But if you take a look at other sports, there's other sports that are have, have similar types of integration. You know, para ice hockey uh, has has that type of integration going on. Where if I go to the local club here in Whitby, the Steelhawks, you'll see people who are able-bodied hopping in the sleds, playing right alongside their peers or their friends, brothers, sisters, whatever that happen to have a disability. And, and so it depends on the sport, but there's a philosophy of of inclusion or reverse integration in Canada. And so really what we do is we look at the sport as a sport and sport is for everybody. It's, it's not for select groups. One of the greatest things about sport is that it brings people together. I'll tell you a really quick story that always reminds me of that. And it speaks to the, the point of reverse in- integration. My first international tournament in 1989, I was in Stoke Manville. 
the starting point for wheelchair sports around the world. And it was a place you almost had to go through as a rite of passage back in in the day. And I, uh, I'd arrived there first day, went to go into the gym to go get a shooting workout in. It was locked. I looked to my left and there was a door open in the building that was kind of connected to the gym. And so I went in and it was, the ki- it was the kitchen where they were preparing food for us to eat. There was a older lady there and I asked her, I said, is there a way I can get in the gym from here? And she kind of looks around, makes sure nobody's looking, kind of gives me a little nod in one direction. I kind of navigate my way through the kitchen and I, I get into the, I find a door that gets me into the gym. So I'm shooting around, lights are off because the gym's locked up. Janitor comes in, opens up the door and he goes, How'd you get in here? And I just said, a door was open. I didn't tell him that it was a kitchen door. And so I just kept shooting, kind of grunted at me, opened up the doors, turned on the lights. And a, a kid from Jordan came and started shooting around with me. And then a little while later, we had a kid from the Netherlands and a kid from Turkey, then a kid from Greece. Finally, we had 10 of us kind of shooting around. And so we started playing a pickup basketball game. And there weren't really more than two people that could speak the same language on the court. And yet we played pickup for about an hour and a half, two hours until it was time for supper. And what that's always reminded me is that sport is a language we all speak. It's something that brings us together. So why, why put barriers to people's participation? And I think that's the biggest thing that, that fits really well culturally in Canada because we really value uh, inclusion. And the respect that's associated with the value that comes from being included. And so we try to make sport as available to every single person as we possibly can. And a sport like wheelchair basketball, it just happens to be that the piece of equipment you use to play it is a wheelchair. Is that from a sporting aspect when you say Canada or is that from a parliamentary? Is that a community? Is it a disability community? Where is that that it's so widely accepted in Canada? Where does it start and where does it finish? So I would, I would say that it starts in, in individual communities. And, and I'm not going to say that it's across Canada that everybody shares this philosophy. Because like any country, there's going to be, there's going to be areas where people are going to have different ideas. But what I would say is that the majority of Canadians uh, or communities see inclusion as a positive thing and they look for ways to include people. We just hosted the Ontario Parasport Games here in my region. It's the, uh, the provincial games for, for people with disabilities, big multi-sport games. And the thing we wanted to do was we wanted to, to host it as a means of showing the whole community the value of all individuals, showing them what they can do and showing them sports, not showing them people with disabilities, showing them sports. So I think it's fair to say that it's philosophically something that fits with Canadians. Is it everywhere in Canada? No, no, not at all. That's a process. Is it something that's legally mandated? No, but I think it has higher value and is more likely to happen, not because it's legally required, but because it fits with the values of being a Canadian. I'm going to touch on now, this This is, we, we were talking about this just prior before the interruption on the connection. But then also linking back to Bridie's episode last week, we ended our discussion with Bridie around a few questions as to the extent of inclusion and specific sports and and where the crossover happens. And I asked Bridie the question as to where does she think the line crosses in terms of inclusion for a physical disability sport and those with intellectual disabilities. And it was quite funny because she, she really sort of beat it around the bush and didn't quite answer the question, but answered it in a way of saying what she felt. 
but I want to I want to ask what your opinion on that frog is, and then you sort of shared a bit of a story earlier as to at what point is there is there a crossover, and where do you think it becomes a negative impact on one versus the other? If that, does that make sense? Did I ask that right? Yeah, yeah. It's a tough one. It's a tough question. No, I, I completely understand the question you're asking, and I think there there's two parts to the answer of this this question, where where it starts and where it begins. I think the first thing I'll actually say is that often the reason why we ask where it starts and where it begins is because we actually put a constraint and a limit on the possibilities in sport. And I'll, I'll give you a great example. I've had people who have argued in when I was at, at the University of Illinois, they argued that in the National Wheelchair Basketball Association, there's just no way they should allow people who are able-bodied to play. Heated, heated arguments. They said, no, you're going to take away an opportunity from a person with a disability. You're going to take, they're not going to be able to play on their local team or they're not going to get as many minutes on their local team. And my, my question, my, my response to that was, what if there were 10 local teams? What if the team you played on, it was based off of your skill as determined by how much you trained? Kind of like other sports, right? Not everybody is, is, a, uh, is required to be able to play in the NBA, right? You, you got to make the team. So if you're, let's say you're shorter, you know, so let's say you're five, nine, I, I'm five, nine, if I'm standing up, you know, if, if I don't have the skills or the speed to, to play in the NBA, there's another place that I can, I can feed that, that competitive need. So if we rethink the problems of where the limits are and opportunities being taken away, and we say, so what if we had, as many teams available and levels to play as in stand-up basketball, would there be an obstacle? And there wouldn't be, right? There are, I, I know at the University of Illinois, they have an intramural league for people who are under six feet. Now, that doesn't mean you can't play in the open league if you're under six feet. You just have to be good enough, skilled enough, right? You have to have acquired those skills. So I think that's the first thing is rethinking where the limits are. We often put a limit in place because we think of it in terms of there's one team in a community. And then the, the second thing I would say tied to that is opportunity. I, th I think what we want to do is we want to create opportunities. So if a person who is able-bodied wants the opportunity, why wouldn't we involve them in the sport and find the place that fits for them? right? It may not be every, it might not be all the different places. We don't know what their skill level is. If we had a, a kid with an intellectual disability that wanted to hop in a chair and play, let's find the space, the opportunity for him or her to play. You know, that would make sense. If we had an individual like me who is I'm paralyzed from the chest down and I want to play, let's find the opportunity for me to play. When I was younger, that opportunity was at the Paralympics. It could get as high as that. I'm a smidgen older now. There's no question that that's not on my horizon. My opportunity is on Tuesday nights over at our local rec center. And so I think that's how we look at it is let's work to create opportunities for people to play. And as long as we've done that, I think then, then we can have a full broad spectrum of integration and inclusion in the sport. And I think we have to reframe some of the obstacles that we see it, we see, and those obstacles are thinking, well, we've just got the one team. I've got a two-pronged question here from the back of that. So Corey Mostram from episode five, who we've spoken to about wheelchair rugby league in particular, and James has been privyed into a bit of information in regards to wheelchair rugby league 
going forward for the next World Cup and rule changes and things, there's been a, a conversation, and Corey brings it up often, in regards to wheelchair rugby league does not have a classification system. So all the rule is is there's no more than two able-bodied athletes on the court at any one time. So because of the way that wheelchair rugby league is, high spinal cord breaks are less picked in teams now because of the way the sport is played. So therefore, Corey feels like he may be missing out on positions because of his disability uh, in regards to ability. How do you feel that is getting to that international and representative level for one, physical disabilities versing each other, abled involvement and like classification systems in general? I'm so glad you asked that question because Frog in the in the RI conference we had at Spinners had a great, great comment about this and I cannot wait to hear it again. I was going to say, and the second question, I know that this is a bit, bit full on, but we asked Bridie, abled bodied involvement in the Paralympics. So they kind of go hand in hand. That's why I say the two comments. But yeah, I want to know your thoughts on, on all of that. I can't, first of all, James, I can't remember what I said in the conference. So I hopefully I'm philosophically consistent here. First thing I would say is if you say that there's only, you're only allowed to have two ABs on uh, in the field of play per team at one time, that, that's actually a classification system. It's a really, really primitive one but it is a classification system because you have, by definition, you've just put a limit based off of function. So there is one. Um, what I would say, uh, if, if somebody wants to play in the world championships, they need to train so that they can go and tra- compete at the world championships. There, there is not a right th- that, uh, that you get to play in the world championships. And so the young man that's like, man, maybe you're focusing more on my disability than my ability. No, what what you have to do is you have to go train and earn that position. Now, what I would say as well is there's two pieces. The step to an open system where it's just simply that the athletes that are the best get out there in the field of play and compete. The step in between that is a classification system that includes everybody. What happens when we have the end result of the best athletes competing, we, we don't talk about classifications, things like that, is you'll have leagues for individuals that are shorter, as an example. But in this case, you might have a league for class ones. You might have a league for class for everybody lower than a two. You might have a, a league for that's better for everybody lower than a three. One thing I would say about wheelchair basketball is that the most functionally efficient classifications are the tweener classifications because of the nature of the sport. It's actually not that efficient to be a 4.5 because there's some functional muscle you're pushing around. It doesn't really give you that much of an edge. Really the optimal classification is probably right around a three. As long as you can lean down, pick the ball up and back extend, you're probably going to have chair mobility that's far superior than a 4.5. And if you look at the gold medal game in Tokyo, I'd take Steve Sirio from the US. I'd take Hiroaki Kozai from Japan. I'd put them up against any 4.5 in the world. And they'll be able to compete, period, because they're just great athletes. So does that answer your question? And did I touch on what I'd mentioned when we chatted a couple of years ago? 
I love that. Yeah, you, you, you were certainly philosophically uh, consistent. That's for sure. Yeah, your uh, to uh, perhaps I don't know uh, jog jog the memory was that you and I can quote this was that you said that the the classification system in basketball is 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 beautiful is what you what you said because it makes the fact it makes the individuals in their classification ranks compete against one another a one pointer is not competing against a 4.5 player for the position or for the opportunity to participate in the sport they're competing against other one pointers for the role in the team yep yeah, no absolutely they the i love the classification system for what it's done in wheelchair basketball it needs it absolutely needs to evolve but it is neat because it doesn't mean that you are going to play a class one all the time. You have to be a good enough class one to actually get on the court and make another classification less viable. You know, you might have the best 4.5 in the world, but if you don't have good enough class ones, the four five doesn't get on the court. And I, so I just mentioned the US and Japan. I'm trying to think, so there's Brian Bell from the US, but he didn't play that much in the gold medal game. There's a tweener lineup that they, that they played that was maybe a little bit more effective because it had two fives, threes, and three fives. And so that's a great example of Brian Bell is an amazing player, like um, one of the best athletes I've ever seen. And yet he didn't play the whole game because they didn't have a good enough lower classification player that could get that spot on the court and bump somebody off. So I think the system is great. I think it needs to evolve. I think that some of the problems that they had around minimum disability, I think they could resolve in a way that allows individuals with minimum disabilities to be on the team without limiting opportunities from others. And that's the, always their concern, right? They don't want to take that opportunity away. I think if they took the next, if the next, the next step would be to put a roster point value. So you have a maximum of 14 points on the court in, you know, during play. But what if you put a certain point value on your roster? What if you said, okay, you can only have a maximum of, I don't know, 35 points on your roster, period. And then you let ABs be 4.5s. What's interesting about that is the argument that people would lose opportunities would actually be flipped because the IPC is in theory trying to protect the individuals with the, the least amount of function, with the greatest impairment right now. That's the philo philosophy behind a lot of the increases in events mm -hmm. and the revisions in the, in, in the classification codes. So what if you put a roster point value limit? And let's say it was 35. You could put some individuals who are ABs, minimum disability on that roster. That would require that you also put on class ones and 1.5s, individuals with greater impairment. Now, they'd have to be good enough. They'd have to train, they'd have to be skillful, they'd have to practice, they'd have to be in shape. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to gain an advantage by putting a 4.5, somebody with a minimum disability, or somebody who's able-bodied on the court. So you kind of just answered Cam's second question there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it made me, so both answers that you've just given have really answered both my questions, but it also gives me another question, which is, if you remove able-bodied involvement or you remove, say, 4.5s and things from a sport and went to all ones, would the quality of the game decrease, improve? Would the viewership, say, looking at, and this is going to ruffle some feathers, looking at wheelchair rugby mm -hmm. versus wheelchair rugby league and the viewership that the World Cups have both had 
I see that wheelchair rugby league, because of its able-bodied involvement in the sport, it was faster, it was heavier hitting, the had larger involvement, trending on Twitter and everything else, versus wheelchair rugby, which is designed more for your higher disability classifications and less TV viewership. So what I you did answer, a, you answered yeah. it really well and it just made me think of that as well. Would would that change the Paralympics and would that change viewership going forward into the future where we want para, uh, Paralympic sports or adaptive sports in and on TV? So what I would say, I, the way I would answer it is I would say there's a, a couple of different things I would point to. First, if you had a class one division, let's say, would the game be different or, or of less quality? And uh, what I would say is no. I would say it would be different, slightly different. Would there be less viewership? I think that the viewership would be tied to our ability to educate the viewers. And I'm going to, I'll throw one out there for you guys. So is Dylan Alcott almost a household name in Australia? Yeah, and, absolutely. And he's a, a house, almost a household name because of, in part, his his tennis career. So that's a great example of... So Dylan played, as everybody knows, he played in the quad division of wheelchair tennis. The reason why there was an attraction to come and see him, one, he's obviously very charismatic. I know, Dill. I, I had the chance to coach him at the, the University of Illinois. But people became educated about tennis in the quad division. And that's what drew them. So I think if you have a class one division in wheelchair basketball, what draws people is an education around that. Wheelchair rugby you know, as, as we've traditionally seen it more often than not, it became popular and people started to watch it because they became educated. I know in North America, it became a, a big piece was because of the release of the, of the DVD murder ball that educated people about wheelchair rugby. And they didn't see it as a sport for quads. What they saw was the physicality. That's what they loved. And it was, they, they could compare it to the physicality they would see in, in American football. And so I think education is what is required for people to see the the athleticism and begin to be drawn to it through that. And so I don't think that it's a problem that you have a class one league or a quad division in wheelchair tennis. I think the problem is that we need to do education around it. You mentioned going into the schools. Every time you go into the schools, you are educating the next generation to see the athleticism in all athletes, regardless of their function. They look at sport differently. The Take a Seat podcast is in your ears thanks to the Suncoast Spinners. The Suncoast Spinners are a wheelchair-based sporting club. They run social inclusion programs, including but not limited to basketball and rugby. If you want to get involved with the Suncoast Spinners programs, you can just rock up at Mergen, Morayfield and Sippy Downs on Wednesdays, Fridays and Saturdays or contact them on Instagram, Facebook or their website www.suncoastspinners.com.au. The Suncoast Spinners programs are for people of all ages and abilities. They're looking for players, officials and volunteers to help with all of their programs. So make sure you check out the Suncoast Spinners on Facebook, Instagram, or on their website again, www.suncoastspinners.com.au. I'm going I'm to try and do this verbally through through the podcast. For all the listeners right now, if you're not driving, please don't do this. Frog, I'm going to ask you to do this as well with me. Grab your right hand and put your index finger with your, just above your head, and you're going to make a, a circle starting at 12 and moving around to 3 and then down to 6, back to 9, and then all the way back to 12. So you're moving now your hand in a clockwise direction above your head and then keep moving in that direction and bring it down below your chin. And now look at what way the circle's turning. Is it moving from 
clockwise or now anti-clockwise when you're looking down at it? Still looking at it right now? Yeah. It's still moving clockwise. Are you sure? When you're looking down at it, does it go from certain. does it go uh, from twelve it's a, it's to nine? It tends to anti-clockwise. It goes, it goes from so when you, when you put head, it, when you put it when you put it above your head and you're spinning a circle in a circle to from if we if we start with our finger at the top and we move it from twelve. Well, then I must have started. I must have started wrong, man, because I'm certain. <laughs> no. it's going, it's trust, me, trust me, trust me, trust me. Watch, watch, watch me, frog on the on the camera. So, <laughs> what's going to happen is for the listeners, work work with me here. So, pointing finger up above above your head, and you're going to move it in a circle like direction from twelve to three, then to six, then to nine, and then to twelve, and keep that rotation happening, and keep moving that circle down past your face and bring it down below your chin. Now, when you look at the circle from above, it's moving from twelve to nine, to six, to three, and to 12. So it's about changing perspective. And that's and that's what we're trying to do when we go to these school programs. And I think that's the biggest thing is when, when you talk about education and, and we talk about the idea of does the game be, is it more athleticism or is it is it more of this? Is it more intense? Are the hits, are the hits bigger? Or is it this, that, that? It's, it's not really about that. It's about what are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to show? What are we, and the biggest thing is always trying to show someone's ability, not disability. Yeah. I'll tell you a story about that. It's right along those lines. When my kids first, uh, when we first moved back to Canada and my kids were in elementary school, I, I'd go into the school and, and, and I could tell kids would be like looking like, who's the guy in the chair? You know, like, who's that guy? I'm going in and it's because parent teacher conferences or there's a play or something like that my kids are in and stuff. So a couple of years into it, I, I asked one of the teachers if they'd like us to come and do a wheelchair basketball demo. So they said, absolutely. We'd love to have you come in. I said, well, would you give me a week in, in of the gym class? And they said, 100%. So I went in and I, I taught wheelchair basketball to every single grade from kindergartners all the way up to eighth graders for one week. And what happened to your point about changing perspective is the next time I went into the school after that, it wasn't like you could tell it wasn't the weird guy. I was like, hey, it's Coach Frogley. Hey, Coach, how's it going? When are you coming back for wheelchair basketball? We love that changed perspective. They weren't looking at me as out of place. I now belong in the community. Add to that story. So we do Halloween here and stuff like that. So kid comes, you know, kids come to the door and knock on the door. I open it because I'm the, I'm the one that gives out candy. My wife goes out with the kids and when they were younger and walks around the streets with them. Kids are like, hey, it's Coach Frog. Hey, Coach, when are you coming back to do wheelchair basketball? It's Halloween. I've got goblins and witches and Yodas and all kinds of things coming up to our, our house. Change perspective, right? It's not something weird that I'm in a wheelchair. I'm associated with something cool, wheelchair basketball. Change perspective. I think James and I have both been lucky enough that we've gone to schools and done exactly that type of program. And we've seen that change perspective like instantly. And you can see probably on the, phone, uh, the video here that James and I are sending messages back and forth just questions that we're thinking of and whatever else. And one of the things that we've just wrote down is educational change of perspective. But Channel 7 here in Australia did a really, really good job in the last Paralympics where every single sport, they put up the classification, the education around the program. I want to say it was called Alexa or something like that. Maybe that's your home entertainment system or whatever. But they had an actual name for it and it showed exactly what the classification for every sport was, yeah. what the rules around it were. And I think the Australians here got a really good insight as to education around the whole sport and, and the classification system of the Paralympics. As that exact moment, the Paralympic viewership in Australia was higher than the Olympic viewership in Australia because of that education and 
a flip side of it now, Channel 7 has just given up the rights for the next 10 years of Olympics and Paralympics or the next four. Um, it's a package deal. Channel 9 has signed the deal to take the Olympics but has not taken the Paralympics. Paralympics is currently not going to be broadcast by anybody. They are still in negotiation talks because it wasn't a package deal across the board. Mm. What are your thoughts on something like that? So I, I guess a couple of things. First, the, the, the explanation about the classification system, that, that's, that's, I, I've spoken to the, the guy who developed Lexa, and it's great. It, it's, it, that was its intent. It was intended to be used by the media to help better explain something that sometimes can be pretty complex, especially when you look at some sports and you see just a real mix of different types of function where you could see an event in in swimming that might have somebody who is an amputee swimming against somebody with a spinal cord injury, swimming swimming against somebody of small stature, all in the same event, but we have to have their function explained. So we understand they've basically got all the same muscles to compete against each other, which is, it leaves it all up to training and technical skill at that point. I think that any business that at this time is not jumping on the opportunity to sign the Paralympics, I think they're short-sighted. I think that they don't understand the value of the Paralympics as a basic commodity and its increased value over time, over the next four years. I think they've missed the boat on how interest in the Paralympics has increased, particularly since London, but definitely since, well, since the games in Sydney. Now, I will say that in 96 in Atlanta, I was there and I remember moving into the village after the Olympics and McDonald's was moving out of the village. They moved out of the village, the Paralympic village, after being in the Olympic village. They would not allow another vendor to come into the Paralympic village, yet they wouldn't stay themselves. That was a missed opportunity. I think that whatever media is out there, they don't understand they may not think there's much viewership available in australia but i don't think they understand how things have changed with streaming and viewership internationally and i i think they've missed the boat on how valuable the paralympics is becoming in a lot of countries we're seeing increased competition at the paralympics because of that because now countries are seeing that a paralympic medal is valuable in their home country that brings uh, it brings national pride uh, at the very little lowest level and i say that because i see countries like you, know, you, you see countries like brazil developing their paralympic programs and becoming competitive in a lot of areas uh, turkey becoming competitive and increasing the funding and support for their paralympic athletes because there's value for one of them to come home with a paralympic medal and there's value for national pride for their when they're back in their home country there's value on an international scale in terms of how they're viewed as a developed country we saw that happen with beijing where all of a sudden the chinese valued a paralympic medal because it increased their profile as a developed country internationally and so if there is somebody in the media that is not jumping in on this opportunity they are misunderstanding the trend and the value of Paralympic sport and don't fully understand how to do the educational piece that will increase viewership 
and its marketability. I'm so glad that you brought up, one, the McDonald's story, two, Sydney, and three, London. There is a huge, huge, huge push here in Australia that we believe that Sydney 2000 was the greatest Paralympic and Olympic Games in the world. London stepped it up a mark and said, no, we'll show you how it's really done. And Australia has flipped the script and gone, well, we're going to show you how 2032 is going to be. We are going to take the mantle back. That is the big push here in Australia. What do we need to do in Australia, do you believe, to make it better than London? What is missing from a Paralympic game host nation? In general, like, where can it be done better from your experience as an athlete, as a coach, and a viewer or educator in this field? So I think the story about Brisbane will be a story of legacy. And it won't be the legacy after the games. It'll be the legacy that happens before the games. So what we saw with Beijing and with London is we saw two countries that began to invest in some of their Paralympic athletes to a greater degree and some of their system to a greater degree prior to the games. They didn't have the decade-long window that Brisbane has. Brisbane has the opportunity to build not just a, uh, a pathway for a, a number of athletes. They have an opportunity to build the whole system at all levels. I would argue that there is a kid starting off today in Paralympic sport in Australia that will win a gold medal in Brisbane. They're just starting now. They will only win that gold medal if the whole system is robust at all levels. And the legacy of the Brisbane Games will not be the gold medals. It'll be that a kid with a disability or any kid in Australia can go find their space in any Paralympic sport. That means they could go play open wheelchair tennis or rugby league. They could go play goalball. They could go play table tennis, wheelchair basketball, hop in a track chair, whatever it is, but they could find that any kid will find any space, not just the kid I mentioned at the start that's going to win a gold medal that's starting today, but that all of that kid's peers, they'll all find their space in Paralympic sport. I think that's the legacy for Brisbane. And that's fundamentally different than it's happened ever before. A whole system being developed that creates an opportunity for literally every single person to access Paralympic sport. That's huge. I was going to say, I think that's, James and yeah. I have just literally been blown out of the studio. <laughs> we, we were saying before that uh, it really feels like we're being not, not lectured in a bad way, but there's, there's so much that you're saying that just feels like it needs to be heard. I'm not going to lie. This is... I'm going to take this episode because uh, we've got obviously our marketing platform and everything else, but this is going to be sent to every single person in Australian Paralympics that we know. We've got a dinner later tonight with mm. big high profile Paralympic people. We've had Lynn Anderson, the previous CEO of Paralympics Australia on. Um, she spoke to us. We've got Bridie and Chris Bond that we talk to frequently, Riley Batt. Um, there's a few other bits and pieces of people that we've been talking to, Monique Murphy, and you know we're going to send it to as many people as we possibly can this exact episode because exactly what you've been talking about, Frog, is, is amazing. 
Um, we'll take this opportunity now to transition to the hard cards with Rob. <laughs> thinking, seeing as this is our last episode mm. in our first year of podcasting, we can't not put can't the hard not. cards We're going to have to do a hard card question. We'll, we'll, we have the hard cards, which are a number of cards that we have with questions written on the back, which are vulnerable questions, questions that have been sent in by guests, listeners, by ourselves. Uh, and these questions are generally taboo to ask, probably in, in general conversation. And we try and sort of provoke some form of vulnerability or some form of uh, openness, I, I guess, is what we're really trying to get to, is the questions that may be considered inappropriate or, as I said before, taboo to ask. So without judgment or from a curiosity point of view is where they're coming from. Ken, would you like to read out the questions? Yeah. So we've got three questions. I'll read question one and then I'll say question two, so on and so forth. Question one, what is your life motto? Question two. Is there anything missing from your sport? And question number three, what's something you disliked as a kid but love now? Feel free to answer one, two, three. And if you'd like to hear any questions again, I will repeat okay. them again. Life model. You know, if there's one, there's, there's been a couple, there's a couple of different ones that I, I use over and over with when I'm, when I'm coaching. First one, and my, my kids have heard this one, nobody ever drowned in their own sweat. And my dad used to tell me that one. And then uh, the one that I've, I've started every single season of my coaching career with, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So those are two models that really stick out for me. Anything that's missing from my sport, that's a tougher one. You know, there's, yeah, I, I would say in wheelchair basketball and generally in Paralympic sport, I think one of the things that's missing is there's a, a willingness to be creative with the possibility that creativity might fail. We don't really try out. We don't really take big steps to try to really make the sport better. We take really, really tiny ones. And that's because we, we tend to have relatively conservative leadership. It's kind of afraid to make mistakes. And the interesting thing about that is that that's the exact opposite of sport. Sport is about being willing to make a mistake. Like I think about the first time I ever shot a basketball, I know I missed. So taking that second shot, that was a risk. Think of all the different sports you guys have played that the first time you tried them, it, was, it wasn't super successful, but you kept doing it. So sport is about taking risks, actually. It's about learning from failure. And we don't do that at the highest levels. So I think that's something that's missing. Sort of a boldness and a courageousness, the youthful exuberance and creativity is missing at the highest levels. And something I disliked as a kid that I like now, beer. <laughs> <laughs> what would be... If you were to take that giant step or leap in the sport, what would it be? How do you mean giant step or leap in the sport? Well, yeah, you said that the the governing bodies or whatever else aren't willing to be creative or or do things. You know, you, you take that risk. What risk would you like to take with wheelchair basketball if you were in control of it in the international level? I, I would actually take this probably across the board. I, I, I think, and I'll, I'd look if I'm looking at it from our national perspective. And most countries are like this. There are a couple that have a different perspective, but not many. I, th I think we have to we have to think what do we want the sport to look like in ten or twenty years, and now we have to move towards that. And we don't have that long term vision. We have a tendency of, you know, what what are we going to do this year and move forward from there. And that's that's not the way you build a long term sustainable sustainable system that meets the needs that we've got. And that actually fits exactly with, you know, my comment about what 
what will be Brisbane's legacy? What what does Australia want Paralympic sport to look like in 10 years time? Not just at the games, but around the country, like for every single person, every single space of Paralympic sport, not just the podium. And then have the discipline to work towards that over the next 10 years. I think that's where James and I have taken this podcast is neither of us have a disability and we went and took the leap with the thought that people were going to shut it down in our face because we didn't have a disability. And we're like, no, we want to bring awareness to the community of wheelchair and adaptive sports. And we, we were willing to take that leap in the faith of 2032, people had a profile potentially because of this podcast or something else that has happened and add value to people's lives because of our leap of faith that we've taken with this podcast in particular. So that's that's been really, really good to to hear you say that is to take that leap and and not be scared of of taking the leap. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if we could tell someone about a sport or change someone's perspective, you know, clockwise, anti-clockwise at the circle to the fact that maybe they could participate in a sport or maybe they do find this legacy uh, or, or an opportunity through this legacy to participate in a sport and find their place and find their opportunity to participate in the Paralympics or Olympics. That's what that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. One final thing from, from us, Frog. Is there a athlete that you know of that we should talk to on this podcast to add a profile to them before Paris 2024 and LA 2028 or Brisbane 32 that is a Paralympic athlete that would be an up-and-coming rising star that we, we need to have a chat to? Wow. Paris 2024. Just around the corner, hey? Mm. Very close. It is. I, I, I think there's going to be that'll that's going to be an interesting one because I, I, I don't know enough of the athletes internationally. I, I think if I'm looking at, I, I know there's a few. So okay, how about this? There was um when we spoke with Adam Hills, he said if there's one person you want in a change room, you build your team around that person. Who's the one person you want in the change room? I can't say that because then I'm going to be playing favorites, and I've coached some great athletes. And one of the things I've always said, and they'll bust my chops. A lot of a lot of the kids I've coached will bust my chops. But this, they, when I've been asked, like who who is my favorite? That'd be like saying you have a favorite kid in your family. Like one of your, you love one kid more than another. And so I, I can think of so many different things. Like I, I've had a chance to coach some really really great athletes, and each of them has brought something very special to the court. And and I, I, I love them all equally as a result of it. Like I see the value in every single one with no less value, which is actually reverse integration, right? It's seeing the value in every person and what they bring to the team, regardless of their function. And that's all, that's the way I look at all my ball players. Kids that I'm really, really excited about. There's a couple kids in Japan that I've seen coming up in wheelchair basketball that are going to step into the limelight. A couple kids in Great Britain to keep your eyes open for that are coming up and stepping into the limelight. A very, very big thank you for your time, Frog. As we said before, everything you've said, we've we've been listening as if it, our life depends on it. You, you really just demand our attention with your voice, I'm not going to lie. We, we've also been, since we started this podcast, there's been three names that we have really, really wanted to and couldn't wait to talk to. You were actually going to be our very first episode. And we didn't want to do it any dishonesty. We didn't want to stuff up. And we wanted to be better podcasters before we actually had a conversation with you. And I believe that's exactly what we've done and why we've left it to the last episode. Second last or third last episode was Bridie Keen, which was one of the other people we wanted to talk to. 
And the third one is a good friend of yours that you know very well, Patrick Anderson. So we're t- hopefully going to talk to him very, very, very soon. Thank you so much. We've taken, and our listeners will take so, so much out of this episode. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode. We appreciate you rating and reviewing the podcast, but most importantly, sharing it with people you think it will impact the most. Before we go, again, a massive thanks to our sponsor, the Sunco Spinners. The Sunco Spinners are a social wheelchair-based sporting club. They operate multiple programs for people of all ages and abilities in basketball, rugby, and more. Follow the Sunco Spinners on Facebook, Instagram, and find out more about them at suncospinners.com.au. 